This week, we talk about a potential looming recession and what it might mean for small bootstrapped companies. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up this week, Tyler? Uh, I'm doing doing good. Uh, it's like the first. <laughs> Rick and I just spent like ten seconds trying to figure out who was going to ask the other what was up this week, and we blew it. It's actually it actually took thirty seconds. 30 I was watching the timer. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. It feels like summer. I'm feeling good. I I know you said you're tired before we started recording, but I'm feeling like ready to you know go into summer. It's thirty. It, I woke up and it was twenty six degrees outside. Wow. I hate Utah right now. I'm, <laughs> is that I'm low on Utah. for May? I don't think so. Hmm. I mean, I don't think Park City is usually that cold in, yeah. in May. Um, and I'm in Draper, Salt Lake area. So that sucks. Yeah, I'm not happy about this. And it, like, when it's cold, when you think it's going to be warm, it's like a really bad way to start your day. Yeah. It's 86 degrees right now outside. Loving it. Anyway, uh, while I'm feeling good about the weather, um, you've been following the stock market or anything? <laughs> Yeah, my, my version of this is following the housing market because we, we would like to oh, yeah. buy a house. And oh, so, so you might be happy about what's going on then. I'm not going to say I'm happy because it seems like really bad to say that out loud, um, but it would be nice <laughs> if home, home <laughs> prices went down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. In the sense that people will be hurt, it sucks. But like the situation over the last several years has been bananas and like it's it has to come down. But do you think, okay, there have been maybe... I feel like every two years or so, there's like a little recession head fake where, uh, you know, like 2016 had this where a bunch of SaaS company stocks, like stocks went down and then it, it came back and it was fine. Does this feel different to you or is this just another one of these little blips? This feels different. Yeah. But oh, yeah. why? Like, um, hmm. I mean, I know why for me, like among other things, it's everyone's talking about it differently now. Like if you go on Twitter, everyone's like, this is for real. But I don't know why they're saying that. There (laughs) seems to be some kind of consensus. (laughs) Yeah, I can't. can't, um, I thought this would happen during COVID. And Mm -hmm. so I pulled out of the market completely. And like I've been out of the market since. Oh, wow. Um, Which was really hard for me to watch because I was like, like, I just watched like people double, triple their money. And I'll like, you know. Because I was pretty heavily indexed on the S and P five hundred, um, before, like right pre pandemic, and right around when that started going down, I pulled out. So everything I've been just in like basically savings accounts, um, and so, so you missed some gains. I missed some serious gains, and so I, you know, I've sat it out the whole way. Um, none of this made sense to me. None of this growth, like I just never could like wrap my head around it, um, given the situation, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, I guess, I guess I'm just like not. This just feels like, yes, this is like you know when you throw a ball up in the air, gravity happens. Yeah, it's just like so, it feels like that's what's happening, and it's just like yes, okay, this finally makes sense. <laughs> so one of the reasons I would never time the market, which you did, I admire your courage. But one of the reasons I went is like then now now when do you get in? When do you when do you say okay, it's done and it's time to get in again? I don't know, um, and like I, I question ever getting out. Like I'm. I was invested in index funds. Like it wasn't like I was like, yeah, really being thoughtful about this. Like you know? Yellow yeah. and GameStop or something. <laughs> so I mean, in, in in hindsight, like I think like I, I probably should have just kept my you know strategy since I was twenty and just like putting some percentage of earnings and in index funds like mm-hmm. you know every month. And you know if you do that, then you have kind of you know everything averages out. And so um, I probably should have done that. Um, but there were some circumstances that, that led me to being a little bit more risk averse than normal. And uh, anyway, uh, I guess now it's a question of when do I start doing that again? Getting back in, yeah. Yeah, and I've held out as lo- this long. So I think like what, what I'm excited about with this particular, let's just call it like recalibration of the market versus recession. Um, I think that I'm in a position where like I could take a few bets. Um, mm-hmm. and so I, I'd much rather be strong in a downturn. Um, you know, than than having like just sort of rode the wave and not knowing, I don't know. I, I kind of like the position of being, having the option of going in versus questioning when I should pull out. 
Yeah, this is something I always find puzzling about a lot of uh, like financial investing advice beyond just the normal put your money in index funds. It's kind of like wait for, you know, like wait for the housing market to crash and then buy real estate or whatever. But like it kind of assumes then that you have a lot of money not in the market for a long time, which kind of goes against the like put it in index funds and let it sit there. So, uh, yeah, again, I wouldn't do it myself, but it does sound kind of fun almost to be like, if there's a great opportunity coming along, you're going to have some money to put in it. Yeah. And I mean, Sable and I have been quite patient with home buying. Like we're not, we're not in a crappy place at all. We're in a pretty nice place renting. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but like, you know, is is it where we want to be? No, like we would rather be in a house, um, you know, that's nicer and bigger and, you know, we would like to be, you know, nesting for lack of a better term. Um, right. but, but we've, we've been patient and I, th- and, and it's kind of cool to think that, you know, we might be rewarded for that patience, um, and potentially get a better, nicer house for less money than we would have paid for a average or maybe a non-ideal house. Um, th- that's one example of this, but like mm-hmm. the cooler thing is like being maybe a little bit more opportunistic, like zoom, for example, I don't know if you looked at their stock price, but like they're below pre pandemic um, yeah. levels. And it's like, well, that doesn't make sense. Um, I don't understand the stock enough to like say that's a good investment or not for myself, but like there's something interesting about that that makes me go, Hmm, maybe in addition to some, maybe there's a little bit more of a complicated portfolio here of like, there's some index fund here. And then maybe there's some speculative speculation, you know, growth, not like speculation, but like buying, buying up some stock here that on a long-term basis is probably undervalued. Yeah. So speaking of like, you know, is Zoom undervalued or whatever, but like, let's, let's maybe shift this to how does this affect actual businesses? Like, do you think that, uh, like B2B SaaS bootstrap type, like, you know, our, our types of companies should care about this at all? Yeah. Like in, in what way? Uh, I mean, this stuff has major ripple effects. Like you don't know, you can't exactly point to them, but, um, I mean, the obvious one, I think you pointed out on Twitter. I think I saw, uh, if you serve, SaaS funded startups, like you're going to feel this, um, as funding mm-hmm. dries up, but I mean, people get more cautious. Like people can't make their mortgages. What do they do? Like they, they start, you know, pinching pennies and, and that eventually affects you, um, at some level. So like, I, I mean, there are very few like true recession proof businesses, um, mm-hmm. especially bootstrap businesses that I kind of think of as in this category of serving the average American, like the average, you know, business or the average consumer or even the long tail version, small business, um, probably going to be affected. Let me, let me, I, I think I mostly agree. It, it, of course it depends like how big of a deal is it? Like if it's a little baby, you know, the stock market goes down, let's say we're near the bottom right now and it goes back up, probably the ripple effects will be contained. And there are some good things about it. Well, sorry. And I, I want to acknowledge, of course it could get much worse. I'm not saying like, I'm not making any predictions about what might happen. One thing, the the talent market has been absolutely bananas lately. And I'm kind of, I don't want anyone to lose their job and all that. Kind of like you said, I'm not like wishing ill upon people, but I am like, oh, maybe we can actually hire a developer again in the future as opposed to, I think we're totally priced out of it before. I think, so let's, let's break this conversation into like, what are the like worries and then the Mm -hmm. opportunities. And like, I think that there's probably, if you're a well, a self-funded in control of your own destiny default alive company the pros outweigh the cons in this situation right. on a long-term basis because you're going to be in a position potentially to watch competitors go under. I've already seen one competitor go under. I just saw another one get acquired. Reading between the lines, like perhaps you know that's because of this market, right? And so mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I've got less competition. Um, that's a good thing, right? Like I think um, you know less people to fight over uh, customers with. Then you've got the talent acquisition, less competition uh, potentially um, in terms of trying to hire the person that you want to hire. Um, those are all pros. They like kind of go to the default alive, outlasting um, maybe a a less a, a venture funded competitor. Yeah, and I think my my understanding of how this works has become a lot more mature over the last several years because we were both fresh out of college in two thousand eight, and almost everyone got laid off at our company except the two of us and three other people. So like we've kind of been through a recession, hard times, but I wasn't like really paying attention. I was 23 years old. Like I didn't know what was going on. One thing I didn't appreciate until more recently is even companies that don't go out of business, even if they don't necessarily. So so, so like pause for a second. One of the things that's going on right now, it's not that businesses are doing worse than they were. It's that investors are not giving them the same multiple, however you want to value the business, right? Like 
Apple stock is down. Google's is down. Amazon's down. None of those are doing poorly, really. Like they're making more money than they were a year ago. But investors are saying, we think you are overvalued. There was too much hype. And the business is just fine, but the, the valuation's gone down. I think like five years ago, if you'd asked me, I'd be like, okay, then that doesn't really affect anything. What I don't think I appreciated is how much the stock price affects a company's ability to raise capital and to hire employees, because especially at startups, but even at these big publicly traded tech companies, employees might get 50% or more of their compensation in, in stock options or RSUs or some form of equity. If the stock price goes down 80%, it's effectively like all your employees just lost you know, 50% of their compensation. compensation. Yes. Yeah. thousand percent. So companies that don't care about their valuation, like you know any bootstrapped company, I it, I don't know how to like what to do with this information, but I could see it being a pretty big win for bootstrappers. Yeah, I mean, like when when your comp- there's like kind of two two versions of competition that is re- reliant on outside capital. One is a default dead company, like mm. right, and then that yeah. just like wipes them out. Like they have to make cuts. Like it's very hard to recover from that. Like then there's the default alive companies that can continue to invest in growth, but have to slow down a little bit. Those are the ones that like, potentially those people get, str- those companies get stronger. And like, um, like there's sort of like a evolution that happened. It's probably not good for your business because like, they're going to come back and, you know, potentially <laughs> beat you. Um, but I don't know, like the, the ones that are, I mean, the competitor that went under in our, in our space, um, was definitely probably living, you know, on the danger side of, growth and uh got caught and but there you know there are probably other ones out there who are just going to be like okay like we got to get we got to be more thoughtful and in a year or two from now they're going to benefit from that yeah yeah i I mentioned this in my every week i send out a newsletter the employees of lessening serum and the theme for this week was like what might all this mean and not again not really making predictions but i point out like one in particular, one of our direct competitors, most of them are pretty mature now and like they're profitable and it's, they're not like going to go out of business. But one of them, it's like, if you look at their numbers, them getting acquired or something like that goes, the, the, the odds of that happening uh, go way up. So mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see. Yeah. It's like a, you know, one, one uh, piece off the board that you have to worry about. Yeah, absolutely. So have you thought about being proactive about Hey, you for sale, you know, like using this as an opportunity. Well, to... this, co- this company is like a multi-billion dollar company. What about like a, some of your smaller uh, fish, like where it's like, Hey, maybe the, these guys are going to get tired. Um, hmm. Yeah, that'd be interesting. You know, to be honest, I don't even know who those companies are. Like CRM is so mature as a space that there are 30 billion plus dollar companies. I just made up a number, but I bet there are 30 billion plus dollar companies that like I haven't really been paying attention to who are the ones that are even smaller than us. Um, I don't think we're in a great position to spend a lot of money, though, because I also want to, like, if if there are these ripple effects, I want to have as much cash as possible to deal with them. I, I don't know if you've read Mark Benioff, the founder of Salesforce, said his number one regret is pulling back in 2008, 2009. Because, uh, you know, recession is happening. I, I don't think they were profitable yet, or if they were, not but not seriously. And so they kind of slowed down. And he said he, what he didn't appreciate is how important momentum is, where the money you're spending today is really you're seeing returns on it three, four, five years from now. And so they should have been moving much faster in like 2015. And it's because they pulled back during the recession. I mean, that is so interesting. On So that made me think of something like, it takes so long to build momentum in a business mm-hmm. and really like feel like the benefit of it. Um, so much longer than you realize, like, you know, when you, when you put your hand in front of a fire, you feel the burn. <laughs> there isn't that feedback loop in building momentum in a business. And it takes like extreme courage. And yes, I think he's right. It takes yeah. Four plus years to feel the momentum of what your investment, your like proactive investment is uh, today. Yeah, I just saw someone tweeting, I forget who it was, but um, tweeting something that felt very real to me because I'm experiencing this right now. And they were like, companies with high employee attrition don't realize what they're missing out on because you like hire a developer and maybe they're good or whatever. When a developer, the number that this person said was year three, year three, they just are so much more productive. And if everyone's leaving after one or two years, you never hit that. And I'm, I'm feeling this less annoying right now. We've got a handful of people kind of entering that year three, year four phase. And it's like our headcount's not that much bigger than it was, but the productivity is through the roof. And so it's like, yeah, if you don't hire anyone for two years, 
add another three years on top of that before you really get an effective team. Uh, I'm, I can relate to this too at Windfall. It's like my productivity today versus my first three months versus what I imagine it will be in like 18 months in. It's just mm-hmm. it's significant. It's like I'm, I'm still in the building momentum phase. Um, very interesting. I'm, I, if JD, if you're listening, like this just makes me think about all the work that you're doing right now because we're not like we're at the stage where like 90% of all of our effort combined is going towards growing the business. And we may not feel the momentum we're building for years. Yeah. And uh, gosh, but like the, it brings this question of like, how do you know that you're building good momentum and not, um, you know, wasting effort? How does, how does, how, how could Mark Benioff have been confident in 2008 that like that would have been a good decision yeah. to keep going? I'm going to answer this with like a dumb platitude, but like one of the, quotes that Bezos is most famous for, and which is one you've referenced before, is like, rather than thinking about what's going to change in the future, think about what's not going to change. And I often think about this, like if the product's getting better and you know it's getting better, if you're hiring talented people, if if you're doing stuff that provides value to customers, it's hard to imagine that's not the right type of momentum. Yeah. I mean, that the mental, the, the broader mental model for that is called inversion. Um, it's flipping something on its head and it's like, you, yes, a thousand percent. Um, yeah. Like, that's really really good point and that that answers my question too it's like we're betting on a long-term trend yeah to individual health insurance and it's like yes we're building them yeah. cool that's yeah, cool so just to put a put a pin on this like maybe the recession maybe there won't be a recession whatever but like m- what i'm thinking is i already felt good about our trajectory i want to do everything i can to just keep pushing while everyone else is pulling back um and Maybe maybe it won't matter, but that could be a reason that five years from now we're like, you know what, that was that was the defining moment of the company. Is there anything that you need to do uh, to buy more runway, buy less, like pay down future worry Hmm. today um, while this is fresh? I think we have really good, you know, quote unquote runway. I mean, in a sense, our runway is unlimited because we're profitable, but we have almost a million dollars in the bank right now, which is like way, way, way more than we've ever had. And I'm, the timing could not be like when, when the pandemic hit in 2020, we, I, we talked about this on the podcast that I was like, I don't think we have enough money if this gets really bad. And so at that point I got really serious about, I mean, partially thanks to PPP loans that worked out well, but like that would, accounts for like a third of it. But the other two thirds was just the last two years we've been like, we need more money in case something bad happens. So I actually feel really good about where we're at right now. How are you, like, if, if an employee says, let's just say, I guess it's all hypothetical, but let's just say this thing really takes a dive. I mm-hmm. guess you'd have to reevaluate that constantly based on new information. But do you, do you anticipate like what, how bad does this have to get to where it's like, you're, you're going to start, um, playing defense versus offense? I mean, hopefully like, like really ridiculously bad. I guess it depends. What does it mean to play defense versus offense? But like, not certainly not doing layoffs. I'm already not planning on hiring anyone anytime soon. So it's really just, can we maintain our costs, our our current team? And we went through this exercise when the pandemic hit of like, what if, and I basically said, what if our revenue drops similar to the average revenue drop during the great depression? That was the, like what I called the worst case scenario. And I think we could get through that with no layoffs. Uh, People would take major pay cuts, especially people like me who are paid more, but assuming it's not more than a year or two before things start coming back, I think the pay cuts wouldn't be so severe that anyone would necessarily quit because of that. That's Especially because cool. if you're in the great depression, like you're quitting to go do what, right? Yeah. Like it's not like yeah. you have other job options no, anyway. It's a perfect scenario. It's like everyone's willing to take a pay cut in that type of scenario. Yeah. Um, do, um, that's cool. Like I kind of turn the question back on myself. Like what does like a health need to do? Man, it's so interesting. I mean, Zane Benefits took off in 2008 during the recession, primarily mm-hmm. because the business that we are in, both at Zane Benefits and at Leg Up Health, um, is kind of anti-recession um, in that like the, the demand for our services increase um, through a depression or a recession because um, you know, the competitive premium product uh, becomes you know, even more expensive. Um, yeah. So yeah, every time someone gets laid off, they're a potential lead for you. Yep. And if, uh, you know, group health insurance becomes, you know, one of the first things to go at a business oh, yeah. right. um, from a premium product. So there's a lot of reasons why a recession could accelerate like a health growth growth. That's interesting. I, I also just, you're in a great spot where it's like, 
I know JD is kind of an employee, but like more of a partner, like the two of you just have to survive. Like you're a cockroach right now. Like what could possibly kill you? Nothing. Um, which is fantastic. You sounded like Mr. Wonderful right there. <laughs> oh no. I feel like you just called me a cockroach. Didn't he call people cockroaches? He does, but in a bad way. I mean, yeah. in a, I mean, you could survive a nuclear strike. Yeah, you, you know that's a positive. <laughs> um, well, all right. Well, we'll see what happens. I mean, things, things are never as good or as bad as they seem. So probably, uh, nothing all that exciting will come out of this, but we'll, we'll see. Um, what's going on with you? Well, I mentioned this briefly, but, um, the big kind of thing that happened, like last week we talked about a competitor going out of business and this week a competitor just got acquired. Um, Gallagher acquired lighthouse lighthouse was an old actual partner at, uh, people keep insane benefits. I don't know if you ever interacted with them, but, um, they, uh, they, that's kind of a, kind of a big deal. Um, Gallagher is a significant consulting firm for, businesses, um, buying a pretty large individual health insurance operation. Um, I don't know if it, I, I don't have any details here. Like, I don't know if, if the founders or owners of lighthouse got tired and wanted to get out or whether it was, you know, economic you know, economy driven or whether there was an opportunity Gallagher saw, but you know, this happened, you know, in the last week or two. So, um, but it's kind of cool to see like action happening in the, in the space that I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it means, but because uh, last something. episode you said someone one of your competitors went out of business. This week, one of them got acquired. So, like, I don't know, are there a hundred companies this size, or is it like, nope, now there's half as many competitors as there used to be? It's more like the half. Hmm. Like, on, these are the national players, and there are very few of the national players. And that's pretty exciting. Two, two got taken out. Um, I'd be nervous if it's like a winner take all type market, but I can't imagine how they could, you know, use this for monopoly power or something like that, given how regulated health insurance is. Yep. So to me, it feels like positive, uh, you know, at least the, the, the acquisition and, mm-hmm. uh, and validating. So I know it's kind of, but it's cool to have, see, see movement in the space. Like it doesn't feel as insurance is pretty boring, yeah. um, <laughs> but it, it's like, got some action happening right now. I feel like something that sets me apart from a lot of people I know is when something happens, whether it's good or bad, I'm normally like, cool, stuff's happening. You know, (laughs) like I don't necessarily have a negative reaction, even if it's like objectively a bad thing. I kind of get that impression from you as well. Yeah. I I wonder if that's like a good entrepreneurial quality to just be like any change I'm going to view as an opportunity. It doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) That's I mean, I I totally believe that. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think you I don't know. We're there's always change in a startup environment. And so like one of the things I'm trying to help people, I've taken on new reports at windfall recently. And it's like one of the things I try to help them understand when I become someone's new manager, it's like, listen, with great change comes great opportunity. And like, it's uh people don't have that default though. I think it is actually a fairly unique viewpoint. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, keep us updated. If anything comes like, I don't, are you going to try to go poach any of their customers or, I mean, are you doing anything based on this acquisition? Uh, no, but JD is working on the other. So JD has a strong relationship with this one that's getting acquired. So I'm sure he'll learn something about the details, but, um, on the other one though, that went out of business, we are working to try to do something, um, where either it's lead flow or, you know, help helping them, you know, offboard their clients, whatever. Um, I don't know what'll come of that, but JD's running both of those. Um, that this kind of transitions nicely. Like I mentioned that I've, I've had new reports, um, you know, and there's been a lot of change like in the startup environment. Um, I find myself cats on the roofing a lot these days. Um, this is a phrase Tyler introduced me to, and I actually need you to tell me the story again, because I keep trying to explain the phrase to people. Like it means something to me. So I'm using it but then I try to <laughs> yeah. explain it to someone else. And I'm like, I can't tell the story like Tyler can. And so I ended up just like making them look at me weird. Like you're talking about a dead cat. Like what? I know, it's a little morbid. I, I've had this too, actually recently where I was teaching this to someone at work and they were like, I, I kept retelling the joke and they're like, I still don't get it, but should I, should I say it real quick in case people don't yes. remember and from I need before? You to, because I need to be able to like listen back to this episode and like, right. And like tr- figure out how to tell this story. Cause I, I am using the phrase all the time. I actually have a blog post on this. So oh, if you okay. Google cats on the roof, uh, less annoying business or whatever, I bet you'll find it. But the, so it's a joke that for some reason, my family, told a lot, but it's not specific to us. Other people I've met have known the joke. And it's, there's a, it's two houses next to each other in a neighborhood. The, um, the adults from one house are going out of town. They ask the kid next door, Hey, can you take care of our cat? Uh, while we're gone halfway through the trip, they call, talk to the kid. Hey, how's our cat doing? And the kid says, sorry, the cat's dead. Uh, I don't know. He died. And the, they're devastated. They loved this cat. They're really broken up. And they say, Oh, like, 
uh, that sucks. I know it's not your fault, but like you could have told it to us better. You could have said it in a way where it wouldn't have just like hit us that hard. You should have said the cat's up on the roof and won't come down. And uh, then when we call back, you can say, oh, the cat's closer to the edge and he looks like he's going to jump. And then he jumps and eventually he's dead. But we're ready for the news at that point. Because like, okay, lesson learned. And so then uh, fast forward a few months, the family goes out of town again, ask the kid to take care of the grandma who's staying home. Um, and they call halfway through the trip. How's grandma doing? Grandma's on the roof. <laughs> it's the joke. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, I forgot about the, the thing I was forgetting about was the grandma part. I just like yeah. stopped after the cat thing. And I was just like, get it? <laughs> yeah, that's the <laughs> They're like, no. <laughs> the thing I don't like about this joke is it completely telegraphs itself. As soon as you say the kid's taking care of grandma, you're yeah. like, oh, I, I get the joke. Okay. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah, but I'm using that a lot. I find it helpful as like a, just a good like light conversation to talk about a light entry point into talking about, um, upcoming change mm-hmm. or big, big change. And, um, anyway, it's uh, been useful. I think it's more and more. It's my number one, like management communication thing to fall back on. I like, it kind of doesn't matter how hard an announcement or a thing that you need to communicate is. If you just prep people and give them time to process it so that they're not giving you their emotional reaction the moment they hear the news. Uh, it just, it makes everything so much easier. A thousand percent. So I'm going to um, actually read your post and I'm going <laughs> to practice telling that story and then I'm going to try again and see if someone doesn't look at me like I'm a crazy person. Have, have you figured out how, how are you actually executing on cats on the roof? Like I kind of have my style in terms of how I drip information to people to prepare them for the ultimate news. Have you developed that or is it just kind of ad hoc every time? It's ad hoc every time, and it's usually smaller things in my role, um, very individualized things. Yeah. Uh, it hasn't been like company-wide type communication yet, so it, I can be pretty personal with how I'm doing it. That's cool. Cool. Um, so we got ddos again. What the heck? If you recall, uh, our first, I say again, we got ddos I will never forget the date because it was January 6th, 2021. The date of the uh, the insurrection, so we missed all of that news because our site was down that whole day. Um, I don't have like huge insights here, except like when it happened in twenty twenty one, we set up Cloudflare and that was helped us get out of it. It happened this time, and it wasn't really that big of a deal. Did Cloudflare go crazy notifying you and? No, like what happened exactly? So yeah, it's. I wish you know, in a perfect world, you'd imagine like Cloudflare's just got some crazy machine learning thing and just DDoSs can't hit you. It's not really like that. It's more like our site went down um, and, it, and then it came right back up. And at the same time, we got an email that was like, uh, I just took your site down. I'm going to continue taking it down until you give me $5,000 in Bitcoin. Uh, so like a ransom note, basically. Um, which is kind of scary. Like, because like, wait, can, can they do that? Can Are they going to keep us down? Um, but basically they send just an overwhelming amount of traffic from thousands of different IP addresses to various endpoints. What you can, so Cloudflare doesn't automatically stop it, but there's a few things you can do. One, Cloudflare has a little toggle called we're under attack. So when you log in on the very first page, there's like this kind of emergency button you can push. And if you say hit that, it helps. Basically they start like anyone who goes to your site, they have to do like a Google captcha basically. Um, somehow the attacker still gets through a lot of it, but it stops a lot of it. So that helps. Downside to that is it breaks a ton of stuff. Like, especially if you've got like your API is doing that, but like someone making an API call can't do a capture, you know? So then you have to go in and like say, well, I want to explicitly allow this endpoint because the attacker's not going after it. And then the two things I found really useful, one is firewall rules. So you could say like for, for a bit, all of the traffic was coming from China. And so we just said block all traffic from China. Then they routed it through other places. And it's like, well, it's coming from these four data centers in the US. So we blocked all four data centers in the US. It's kind of like a game of cat and mouse, but um, the firewall rules help a lot. And then the other one is rate limiting. So they would hit specific pages. And so we'd be like, if someone hits the login page more than five times in a minute, lock them out for the next hour. Uh, so it's there's a lot of stuff on our end to like figure out what they're doing and stop it. But Cloudflare gives all the tools. Like It's, it's oddly a weird no-code tool. Like we used no code to defend against this DDoS. Uh, a, a non-technical person could probably do this. Was it fun in any way, shape, or form? Yeah, kind of in the way we were just talking about yeah. that. 
listen, if this happened every week or if it happened like I think this is a pretty unsophisticated attacker. If like, you know, the Chinese government decided to do this to us, like they would take us down and there's nothing we could do about it. That would obviously be terrible. But yeah, once a year having kind of like adrenaline rush and I like pulled in all that as soon as it happened, because we've been through this before. Almost immediately, I was like, guys, this is going to sound weird, but I'm going to go take a nap. Everyone's <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I'm like, well, because I'm going to stay up all night uh, in case this these attacks continue throughout the night. Uh, so I did like an all-nighter and chugged a bunch of Dr. Pepper. It was, it was kind of fun, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you ever respond to the to the ransom note? Yeah, so both times, I actually suspect both of these were from the same person, the one in 20, uh, 2021 and this year. Both times I sent, they sent multiple emails and they started tweeting at us, which is also kind of like we tweeted our downtime notification, like, sorry, the site was down, we're working on it. And they, as a reply, they were like, I'm the one taking your site down. It's not coming back. So, so then our customers can see that, which is kind of scary. Uh, and we reported it and Twitter said that does not violate their terms of service. <sighs> anyway. I sent one email. I said, "We. I just want to acknowledge we've seen this. We will not. We will not pay you any money, and I, you'll not get any more replies from us." I don't know if that's the right approach or not, but that's what I did. You did that via Twitter or via, via email? email. Yeah. You, didn't, you didn't reply to the Twitter thing. No, we <laughs> blocked it, which I think makes it so people won't see it after it's blocked. But I'm not positive about that. Oh my god. Yeah. So it's kind of scary, right? It could be way worse. But this time, the site was only down for a few minutes. There was some like. Some people had problems throughout the day, but like most of our customers probably didn't even know anything happened. Good job. Thanks. It's uh, if, if anyone's listening and you get DDoSed, I'm happy to share the playbook with you. Uh, just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I never have to deal with this because I do not have the skills. Well, I love the businesses that you've been involved in. I, something I've always been jealous about with Zane Benefits, you could take the site down for eight hours a night and no one would care. No. <laughs> like it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, I guess you're not selling software. Like you you always say, it's a tech-enabled service, right? Mm. But the service is what you're selling, and no one can DDoS that. No one can DDoS the service. You can always go on the phone, go to a coffee shop. You can deliver the service via multiple mediums. Yeah. I also love that the as much as there is software, like a lot of it's like, let's say they're buying United Healthcare. As long as United Healthcare's website is up, even if yours is down, like yeah, there's just so many redundancies in your business. It's great. That's a good point. Um, I want to give an update on two growth things, uh, because, you know, this has kind of been an ongoing theme this year, uh, trying to figure out new growth channels. Um, one thing we started working with is, uh, I guess the the generic term is, um, cost per lead or uh, what is, sorry, what is Google PPC price per lead? So PPL, um, do you know what that term means off the top of your head? I mean, I'm, I'm, there's a thousand of those acronyms, yeah. but yeah, like you're, it's how much you're paying per unit of something. I, I think it's specific. Like there's a lot of ways to buy leads, but I think it's specifically a, a specific type of this. We're using uh, software advice to start with. Have you heard of them? You talked about them last episode. And oh, I did. Think, okay. Um, it's a software review site, right? Okay. And, Sorry. I have my memory so great and, that I forgot something well, from two weeks yeah, ago. What, <laughs> one of the things that you were going to do, I think was see if you could find someone who knew how to do software advice, like, like right, expert. right. That's why we talked about it. Yeah, I don't know if that you didn't Sorry. do anything with that. Yeah, so we first of all we took your advice. Um, it's ongoing, but Alex is pursuing an, a handful of people um, that might be able to give advice. But we actually are seeing decent results so far from uh, software advice. So it's it's not like at the point where it's scaling up yet. Like if it stays where it is, it will be a meaningless amount of customers. Uh, but the that the numbers are looking pretty good, and especially what we're finding is no one's really bidding on the cheap customers because you can kind of pay the, the way they price it is it's based on the revenue of the lead. So because it's all B two B stuff, so someone calls software advice, they're like, "Hey, we have seven million in revenue. We're looking for a CRM." They price that based on that seven million dollars. If someone's like one to five million or below one, there's very little competition for those. So we're, we're actually. I don't know how we scale it or if it's even possible, but so far it's been promising. I wonder if they have a group quoting tool similar to this where we could buy leads in Utah for businesses that don't offer health insurance with low revenue. Yeah, I wonder. So so let's think through that because the way software advice gets these leads is they like dominate them, G2, Captera. There's a handful of these companies. They dominate the SEO for anyone who's looking for a CRM. So I guess there must be companies doing that with health insurance. Like if you search for... 
health insurance in Utah. The question is, are they selling the health insurance directly or are they trying to sell off the leads? Yeah, probably the lead. Yeah, they're probably doing the selling off the leads. Um, interesting. I'll have to look into that. So, so what do you, what's the next step? Um, one is to, th- there's other companies that do the same type of thing. Uh, so we're going to try to scale by going to more companies and see how that works. We're also going to try to b- start buying more expensive leads to see just what happens. I'm not optimistic about that, but we're, we're still very much in experimentation mode. The big question is, can we increase volume without decreasing the quality of like, like the metrics work right now, but if, if the ROI drops significantly, then it won't. So that's the first thing is that scale question. And then the second thing is for now, we're not factoring in uh, human labor at all. We're like, we're spending money on the leads and then however much time it takes to convert them, we're ignoring that, which obviously you can't ignore long-term. It, it doesn't take a lot of effort, but it's maybe like two or three phone calls for a uh, five or 10 user account. That's probably fine for a one user account. That's probably not. So the, another thing on our radar is like, Kind of, I actually might pick your brain about this at some point because it sounds like JD's doing this sort of where it's like still it's sales. It's like one-on-one, not fully automated, but like using tools to significantly reduce the amount of time it takes to like send these follow-up emails and schedule the calls and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, what what have you started? It's definitely good to start with the manual approach. Um, have I mean, I assume like the call to action after one of the calls is free trial sign up? Yes, and what's great is these aren't. Uh, there's a lot of places you can buy leads from, and by leads they just mean here's a list of people you can cold call. These are people who actually opted into getting our call before we bought the lead, so they're yeah. pretty warm and they're really they're looking for a CRM. You know, well, cool. I can't wait to hear about how this goes. Have you got any wins yet? Yeah, we've got. I mean, we're not through the 30 day free trial, so no one has paid yet, but we've got a couple activated customers it's again it's so low volume that i definitely am not celebrating yet but uh we've tr- this is like our third or fourth traction channel we've tried that and it's it's the first one where like things are kind of working so cool. I'm feeling good about it yeah <laughs> yeah you could do this a bunch of times and it'll add up yeah uh i, I agree I, that that's the hope and then the other one i want to talk about is we explored programmatic seo i'm sure we've talked about this on this podcast before do you do you remember if we've done it recently I, we use programmatic <laughs> seo a lot at like Oh, you do. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, right, right. Because you. So, so here's what I'm curious about. Um, there's a lot of different ways to do programmatic SEO. What is what is your version of it look like? Like spreadsheet to Webflow API? Yeah, it's Webflow. Um, spreadsheet to Webflow API for sure. So you've got a spreadsheet with a bunch of data in it. Like here are all the different plans, prices, details. You have a template for a blog post that's like here's how we show the information about a plan. And then you, you just, how do you connect the spreadsheet to Webflow? Yeah, so the, the way that, um, so, so uh, the way we think about it is in terms of like plans. So there's a public database of all the health insurance plans that are available at healthcare.gov. And you can basically ex- access that list via an API or a, a CSV. And basically we, we created a template on Webflow, which is they call collections. Uh, and upload because that only gets updated once a year. Mm-hmm. We update it manually once a year by uploading that information into Webflow. And if you type in like a plan name, for example, Legapelt is number one. Let me give you but an Sorry, example. when you say you're uploading it to Webflow, like uh, you're manually going in and typing the details in? No. Or what? you can just import? You can import CSVs into Webflow. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. Now, if I wanted to, we could have this managed in like an Airtable database and then like push the Airtable database to Webflow. But I, I just do it in like Google Sheets and then upload the information to Webflow because the frequency of updates is so low. Yeah. In, so, in other cases where you're doing like if there's a, like a daily update needed, like I would not want to do it this way. I'd want to have more of like a more a more uh, automated um, way to deploy. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so anyway, the, the reason this is coming up is I follow someone on Twitter who has kind of been doing some freelance programmatic SEO. So I reached out to her and just asked, like, could it work for us? I think the conclusion was like, it could, but it's probably not, we're not a great fit. Um, Primarily because I don't think we have access to any kind of like special data. Like having all these plans, that's great. A spreadsheet of plan information is great. We're trying to think like, what what would our data be? 
I know we, we've talked about this before, because when, when you did all your the, the stuff you're talking about, I asked, then I'm, I'm going to ask again, anything just right off, jump off the page about sure. like what a CRM programmatic SEO would look like? I know I'm putting you on the spot here. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the really obvious like spammy one is if you're getting into sell, selling people's personal information, like you could, <laughs> yeah. like you could expose aspects of your database to search engines, um, and have like people searching people, company names, for example, landing on a, uh, less annoying CRM page and saying, get access to our lead database, you know, sign up for a less annoying CRM. God, that would be, obviously there's no way in hell we would ever do that, but that is, that would work. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, um, an, that's a very obvious, like, yeah. obvious one. Um, I don't know, like, like, what's a? I can't think of a. I mean, you could have a database of all the CRMs out there, their pricing. Yeah, um, that's the best yeah. one that yeah. and have that, less annoying CRM verse. You know that that one. Well, the, what was suggested to me was actually so we we already have less annoying CRM. Ver we have comparison pages for like ten different ones. The cool thing about if if instead of, if you leave less annoying CRM out of it, if it's like pipe drive versus Salesforce, you get uh the square of however many rows in your spreadsheet you get, right? Because every combination becomes uh, like it's N squared as opposed to N different articles. I still, I don't think that's like super compelling, but that's the best we could come up with. Related to your company database thing, we also brainstormed at one point, like if uh, we have 10,000, about 10,000 cu customers, not users, but customers, like giving them profile pages they would opt into it but being like you know we'll do some like basically it's like a yelp page for you or whatever because a lot of these people don't have any web presence at all yep um that would be a lot more work but why not like you could dude you could t that'd be so easy to do yeah yeah maybe we'll do that one i think i think where i landed on this i'm not mentioning programmatic seo is like i'm super excited and it's going to be a big win but i think like in the system of experimenting with new traction channels, it's like uh, medium high, not high, in my opinion. Google, um, I just sent you a, a query to search. Like, I'm a, the the query is Select Health Signature Silver twenty five hundred. That's a plan name. Um, type that into Google. Leg up health. There you go. Number one, like we're beating Select Health at the plan. <laughs> like, wow. So it How? it works. It works. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just saying, like, um, and that's, that's all so programmatic. Cool. Like, I didn't write any unique content for that page. And I'm this just, is not. Yeah, this is not like. I clicked the link. It's a very lightweight page. It's not yeah. like you went. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Have you looked into using like copy? I think copy.ai. It's called or any of these like AI writing tools for programmatic no, SEO? No, I, it's interesting. I feel like my bar for quality is too high to trust for me to trust that. Um, but I, 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 is it good? Well, so it's pretty good. Eunice has been testing this out for us. It's pretty good. Like, okay. Like surprisingly, shockingly good. But the thing is my, our, our bar is also higher, but the, the model is you have it write a thousand articles and then you just go proofread them. Uh, so you still get, it's not like going to have incorrect information or anything like that. I've heard, I, again, I'm, I'm struggling to figure out what the content would be, but I could see that being a pretty cool approach going forward. Yeah. It's worth trying. Yeah. So anyway, I, I'm mostly talking about it just to say I have researched it. Dear listener, uh, if you have any kind of unique data sources that could be turned into blog posts, or you think that are AI generated blog posts that you just go proofread that, that there's like a lot of content that needs to be written in your space. I think there's something there. I don't think CRM is like perfect for this, but I might try it later on. I, I think any space where you have, it's like an educational sale, uh, in a sort of dead old industry, there's an op that's probably mm. a place where this would be an opportunity. It's true in health insurance. Um, but like, yeah, if you're in a space that's like been around a long time, lots of players um, and there's some sort of educational component, there's probably an opportunity for you to like creep up the long tail rankings with a programmatic yeah. SEO strategy. I like it. Um, I sometimes lament that CRM is like the, the customer's too educated. Like 
I'm sure there's opportunity for SEO and content marketing, but it's mm-hmm. like, damn, like nobody is confused about what a, what a CRM is. I mean, if that's so different. It's, you, you can tell you've been in business a long time because I remember a time we were like, these freaking people don't know what a CRM is. Yeah, we didn't call our, our original name was Less Annoying Software because I was like, no one knows what a CRM is. What, why would we put that in our name? <laughs> yeah, I know like you're one of your top performing pages back in the day was like, what is a CRM, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh. But, Gone are um, those days. Yeah. Uh, back to you. What's what's next on your list? Well, it's kind of related to what you're working on. Um, I just, just an observation more than anything else. Um, I feel like running a business uh, that is default live, calm, start to last, whatever you want to call it, bootstrap. It's all about like avoiding vicious cycles and creating virtuous cycles. Um, in the you know micro example, traction channels within marketing. That's what that whole concept is about. It's like test things, get get something working and spinning and then repeat it and then go try other things. And you basically just want to get a bunch of virtual virtuous cycles um, working and then you know play defense against the, the opposite and something good will happen over enough time. And uh, I think like back to our conversation earlier, I'm just like trying to figure out like, how do you know when something's virtuous versus vicious versus like, just like, not like no, there's no multiplying factor. Um, there's mm-hmm. no compounding. And uh, like, for example, writing, um, I can very quickly see after a year or two writing on my personal blog, like there's a virtuous cycle of good things happening. More newsletter signups are happening every, every month, um, every day, yeah. uh, more traffic site visitors. Um, and in order you- for it to be a virtuous cycle, like it, it means less effort put in gets the same or better results over yes. time. And then the, the the opposite is true for a vicious cycle. It's like things it's get harder exponentially harder. worse. Yeah. yeah. Is there an in between? I don't know. I just I I just I just feel like um, maybe it's made the way I think, but like I think it's like very hard to run a business on, you know, like like long term and have success like on just like one plus one equals two type steps. I think it's hard to scale a business on that, but I like my initial reaction when you said like, how do you know whether it's a virtuous cycle or not is to kind of say it doesn't need to be at first. Um, Like this is the uh, kind of related to innovators dilemma. I feel Mm. like which I was just listening to a podcast where they had some expert on Apple on and they were like, so what's Apple's next product move? And they were like, well, okay, even a mediocre publicly traded company has to grow 10, 15% year over year, right? or not mediocre, but like Apple has to grow that much. If you think of it, they're a $2 trillion company. What's 10% of $2 trillion? They have to, like, there's there's really not much they can do. It's either cars or healthcare. Those are the only two industries that are big enough for them to move the needle. Um, that's the downside of being a big company. And I think like the the upside of a startup is you don't have to necessarily pick the huge opportunity and the virtuous cycle right away. You have to find it eventually. Mm-hmm. That's not an answer to what you're saying at all. You're saying it, it, it's less important early on. Um, yeah. Um, like, it, I, I not necessarily that it's the exact same thing as product market fit, but I almost feel like product market fit, it's partially about the product and stuff, but it's partially about like, that's when your first virtual, virtuous cycle kicks in, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Like when you hear other people talking about product market fit, they're like, we were slogging, you know, for... Sometimes it's six months, sometimes it's four years. They're like, but then eventually one day, like we found something and like what felt like we were swimming upstream. Now we're swimming downstream. Now the current's going with us and customers want this. And like, we're not, we're not fighting this hopeless battle. And yes, you want that eventually, but I don't think anyone needs that day one. How do you, I guess what I'm really asking is like, it's like, how do you go faster towards getting that? Um, Yeah. Which is like the... You know, it's like the question every entrepreneur asks. Right. Uh, I mean, are so. you feeling a, a sense of insecurity about this? That like time is not being spent on on virtuous cycles? No, I just it's more of like a. I, I, it was more of a generic observation coming in, but then we had the conversation about uh, Jeff, not Jeff Bezos, um, Mark Benioff, and the momentum, yeah. like four yeah. year momentum thing. And it's just like I'm I'm kind of getting stuck on, you know do I have to wait four years to know if we're working on the right things today? Um, like, we've talked no, about this. Be- yeah. Well, sorry, good. No, good. We've talked about this before, but like one mental model that I sometimes like to use, I normally use it more for prioritization, but like, I think it's related to this is just imagine yourself 10 years from now and ask yourself, will I care about this? Um, I normally use this in the context of like, 
something was supposed to ship this Friday, but it's not ready. Is it okay if we ship it Tuesday? And you can work yourself and be like, no, we said Friday. It was supposed to be Friday. But like 10 years from now, we're not going to care. We're not even going to remember. <laughs> yeah. But I think you could do the same thing where it's like, I had a bit of a wake up call this year. We talked about this on the podcast that like our growth has not been great recently. And I looked at all of the product stuff we'd been doing and it was all like stuff customers asked for. But if I'm being honest, if you look 10 years out in the future, am I going to be like, yeah, that's the feature that made everything different. And I, the, the answer in the past had to definitely be no. And now everything we're working on, I'm not saying it all will be yes, but it could be. Every single feature that the, the devs are working on, it could be the thing. Hmm. I am work, we're working on all the right stuff in that concept. So. Like, yeah. Um, I'm not sure if that's related to, or, or like, does it, I think is the a only virtuous cycle what I'm talking about. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it is. It's, it's like, it's, yeah. It, it, at the end of the day, like what I'm really talking about here is like, am I going to regret anything that we're spending time or money on right now? Mm-hmm. And the answer is no, like we're doing all the right things. I think the one area where it's like gets into a little bit of a issue for me is just like how much time I'm spending on like a pelt personally. Um, yeah, that's, but that's a, that's not the game I'm playing right now. Um, it's not my role. So, um, yeah. I have one other thought here. So I talked about the elephant curve post by Jason Cohen a while back and I'll admit I, even I don't fully under, understand the math. I say even I, as if I'm good at math, like <laughs> <laughs> I read it and I like kind of got it, but like one thing in there is a, there's a simpler version of it, which is like an S curve of growth, which <clears throat> is the idea that when you're first starting, it's very slow growth. And then it kind of like hockey sticks up and a lot of people stop there and they're like, then you hockey stick forever. But then it hockey sticks the other way and plateaus eventually. And so the point of that post was like layer a bunch of these things on top of each other so that when one thing's plateauing, another thing's hockey sticking. Um, but sorry, I don't really know where I'm going with this. I'm just doing this off the, the top of the dome here. But I think one way in which a vicious cycle can happen is when you're reaching the top, right? That That's basically what it means, right? And so I think one question you could ask yourself is where are we on this curve? This kind of is related to the Apple thing. Like, is there enough room for growth here? Because another way, if I'm, if I'm criticizing myself and looking back at things we invest a lot of time in that probably weren't worth doing, it's like, I, I should have known that thing was had to level off. Not that it can't grow anymore, but that it has to get harder and harder because we're already near the peak. You can't, nothing can have a virtuous cycle if you're not near the base of the mountain because there's just not enough room for growth. I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, I got nothing either, but like it's, I don't know. I, uh, I, I think the question is around, are we, going to regret how we're spending our time and resources? And the answer to that question is no. Yeah. But we need to be patient. Yeah. Cool. Um, I'm about out of topics, but can I throw a stupid uh, pop culture, sass pop culture thing at you? You love these guys. I do. Uh, well, I don't know. I love talking about them anyway. Did you <laughs> see that Basecamp switched their name back to 37 Signals? No. Somehow I have escaped their noise. Um, I actually have too. I saw, I saw this once and that's it. Uh, but for people who don't know them, like know their history, they started as 37 signals and they had a bunch of products. One of which was Basecamp. They sold off all the other products and changed the company name to just Basecamp, a single product company. And I'm sure they wrote a thought piece about how focusing on one product is better. But recently they're like, no, we want to do multiple products. So they switched their name back to 37 signals. I don't expect you to care about what this company's name is. That's not really my point here. Uh, cause I assume you don't, is that fair to say? I mean, is there anything to learn here? Well, I just thought maybe it would be worth discussing like the merits of a, a single product company versus a multi, multi-product company. Um, Have they explained why they made the shift? I read a blog post about it. Again, I've mostly, I, I don't see anything from them mostly these days, but uh, it basically said like they did base camp and then they, they didn't use the word board, but it kind of sounded like we're bored. They they built Hey, which is an email thing, and they said there there's a third one coming, and they're just like, this is a lot of fun. We're liking it. I 
I kind of get the impression it's just like the the two founders, whatever they want to work on is what they're going to want to work on. And when Basecamp still had a ton of room for growth, that was the fun thing. And now something else is the fun thing. That's me editorializing a lot. That's interesting. This made me think of uh, a separate acquisition that happened. Um, I don't know if you saw it. Uh, Postmark got acquired by Active mm, Campaign. Yeah, right. And who um, was the former owner of Postmark? Natalie Nagelli. And what was their firm's name? Do you remember? Oh, um, Wildbit. Is that right? Wild, Wildbit. Did they sell Wildbit or did they just sell their uh, I think Postmark? they sold Wild. No, 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 no. I think they. I think they sold like they kept some things. Yeah, they did. yeah. Look at that. So this is a kind of what I think of when I see wildbit.com is exactly what I think of when I think of what Thirty Seven Signals is doing. Mm-hmm. Basically, saying we're going to be a portfolio holding company of company of companies and products we create, and eventually maybe we sell those companies. Like mm. it looks like um, Wildbit sold two companies this year. One was uh, DMark Digest um, and Postmark, and they're keeping people first jobs in Beanstalk. Interesting. So yeah, it's kind of like a startup incubator almost, which I I think it's very tempting for founders to want this, right? You're like, the thing I like is coming up with ideas and making high level decisions. And I don't necessarily want to like run this business for the next 40 years of my life. Mm -hmm. So it is very tempting. At the same time, it is really hard to start something new. Um, And I learned this the hard way with Sparse back in the day, where I had less annoying CRM. I wanted to start another product to sell to similar customers rather than building it into less annoying CRM, which is what we're doing now. We're trying to build those features into less annoying CRM. I built a whole new brand and stuff like that. And halfway through, I was just like, this is too fucking hard. Like I quit. <laughs> so we shut Sparse down. Yeah. At some point though, less annoying CRM could be like this product on the shelf and you're like, okay, it's it, like, I need to stop messing with this and just let it run. And that, at that point, you may have a different perspective on all this. Yeah, that's interesting. I I question that. Like, yeah, there's this maybe toxic quality in like the economy in general, but especially tech companies that like everything has to always be growing. But I have that. Like I, I know it's bad and I know it's toxic, but also it is in my DNA that I'm like, less than serum, if if it stops changing, it will die, right? Tech moves too fast. It may take 15 years before it dies, but it will die. I can't let that happen. Yeah, but maybe the best way for less annoying business to continue is to have multiple products. Basecamp, but fair. Basecamp has an interesting twist on this, which is that they launched Basecamp, and then they just launched Basecamp 2, which is a completely different product, different code base, Anyone can keep using Basecamp 1 forever, but the way they, like when they switched to just Basecamp, one of the ways they justified it is they were like, we're just going to keep making new versions of Basecamp. We don't have to like have multiple products at the same time, just new versions. I don't know anyone else that does that. Mm-mm. But that, that I, I say that in response to what you said, that like maybe you fork less annoying serum and you say, here's the, the version that's never going to change for people who are perfectly happy with it. And then here's a different version where I'm going to take crazy risks, like, it actually should be more built around calendar than contacts or whatever. And that way you don't alienate all the people who already like it. I feel like this is all just it's so hard. It's so much work involved between for one launch that like you have, to, it's like guesswork. Uh, I like yeah. your approach way better. It's like, it's going to continuously iterate and improve less annoying CRM is if you do that, everything will take care of itself. Unless yeah, like, it is- like, unless like the internet goes away, in which case, right. That's a, it is hard though to take risks to be because I do think like my vision for the company is that it's not really a CRM ten years from now. Not you could still do all like if, if any customers are listening, don't worry, you could still do CRM stuff in there. But that like a new customer doesn't sign up and be like, "This is a CRM." They'd sign up and be like, "This is just various productivity tools." But doing that is a risk, and it's hard to you know the the more successful your product gets, back to innovator's dilemma, the harder it is to take that leap. I, there is something elegant about Basecamp's approach of being like. We're going to take this risk without jeopardizing what we had, but because it's the same brand, you're not like starting from scratch. I've never really thought about doing that seriously, but I I get the appeal. Why don't you do it? I mean, I'm not bored with less annoying CRM, I think is the big thing. And they were, I think. I also think they thought they made a lot of mistakes with the original Basecamp. And we did, I mean, everyone makes mistakes with products, but I feel like they're all ones you can iterate out of. I could see myself doing that if we wanted to make a change that you couldn't iterate to. If it's just like, 
this new vision is incompatible with what the product is right now. We've got to clone this and then like totally gut it. Yeah, I think I think I'd, I've never really thought about it, but that that's got to be the answer. I think. Yeah, it makes sense. All right, what anyway, else? that's all you I know? got. I got another topic, but I can wait till the next time we talk. It's not urgent. Sounds good. Um, I got to go host uh, host some cocktail dinner thing for some people. And you're you're a partier. <laughs> I don't have a kid, so more than you. <laughs> it's indeed. Yeah. <laughs> All we do is talk about how tired we are. Um, well, if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuplast.com. I'll see you next week, Tyler. All right. See ya.